Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my journey to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows? Maybe we will learn something together. And I'd like to talk about Treeline Academy. And I'm using it right now. I'm going through it and, and relearning some of the stuff from the episodes that I kind of didn't retain before. Um, and using it for my e-scouting. It's awesome. It's amazing. Mark has so much knowledge about this that if you don't check it out, it would almost be foolish not to. So sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. And also, Basemap. Basemap Hunt Fish is an awesome app for using in the field and using all their new hunt data and all the stuff that I'm doing right now to try and find my OTC unit and find the best odds that I can for a unit and uh, find some really awesome spots. Check it out. Sign up. Sign up on the website, not on the app. Use promo code PC25. Save yourself 25% on sign up. You can also go over to Instagram and check out the link tree of some of the other great product products that we've talked about on the podcast. Click the link. It'll take you over there and you can check those out as well. But before we get to the episode, I want to talk about the Western Hunting Summit. As you may know, Publicly Challenged is giving away a spot to the Western Hunting Summit in June. It's the combo summit for rifle and archery. You've got amazing, amazing people there doing some awesome things, teaching you, advancing your knowledge far beyond what you could do in four or five years by yourself. And just gaining that and helping you get a foot forward on the right path is awesome. So check it out. And All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Aaron Snyder. Not that you need much introduction, Aaron, but uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, Aaron Snyder, I'm the um, uh, CEO or president and part owner of Kafaru International. I, uh, the uh, host or co-host of uh, Kafaru Cast. 
I uh, been in the industry uh, a while. I'm actually from from Oregon originally, in a small logging community. I was in the Army for a while after that, and uh, barely graduated high school and managed somehow to uh, pretty much hunt six, seven months out of the year. Uh, don't ask me how I did it. A lot of luck and and hard work, but it but it panned out for me. So yeah, I get get to spend a lot of time in the woods, get to hunt a lot, and uh, yeah, teach survival, uh, land navigation, things like that. And um, I helped start. I was co founder of the uh, website Rock Slide. Um, and I got a bunch of other irons in the fire as far as designing uh, things for a bunch of different outdoor companies. So that is the the quick intro. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask you, Aaron, how, how did you go? I mean, when you were bending nails and framing houses and doing all the crap you did, did you ever for the life of you think that you'd be in the position you are now? No, not, not in this position. I, I actually worked on commercial high rises uh and did euro shower doors and curtain walls and stuff like that uh glass and iron working aluminum but uh yeah i kind of i knew at some point i would um you know work outdoors whether it would be you know guiding or uh photography or uh you know my, my main goal was just to be outside as much as i possibly could you know a lot of people ask the question you know how do you get into the industry and i really didn't want in the industry or maybe maybe i did i didn't I, I i just wanted to to be in the woods as much as i possibly could and 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 hunt as much as i possibly could so i figured that would happen i just didn't think it would happen like this uh and and you know obviously owning and or part owner of a a very very large company and, and or growing and then also people actually listening to me for advice is probably the biggest amazement but no yeah. dance not really. <laughs> so, I mean, how did you end up actually getting, you know, working for Kafari? Was it like uh, just by chance or did you kind of reach out to them or what happened there? Pretty much. I didn't even plan on working there. I uh, I was working construction and uh, writing, writing reviews and things like that on gear. And uh, one of the last backpacks I, I hadn't tested was a Kafaru. And uh, you know, we're still not even that known by a lot of many people now, is even though we've grown by, you know, I don't know how much, I mean, several thousand percent, but walk finally got a hold of the owner and went and met him and really liked the gear. And, and uh, you know, I, I went on a five or six day scouting trip and fell in love with the, the suspension. And I came back and, uh, you know, talked to the owner. We started becoming better and better friends. And, um ended up qu quitting my construction job um there's a long story with that but uh you know because I, I was making really good money you know the golden handcuffs which i'm sure a lot of listeners <laughs> can understand i was you know for a for a redneck dude that that uh, didn't have a lot you know going on other than project management and you know installation whatever i was making i don't like a hundred grand a year which isn't that much in in colorado but uh, yeah, I kept taking two or three months off a year to go hunting and writing these reviews, things like that. Anyway, I started working kind of for Kafaru as like a consultant, helping them with design. And that kind of led to another level. And, and after four years or so, I, I guess I, I got made the uh, the president or CEO in 2014. Um, company kept doing really, really well. And then um, I had an opportunity to, to, to buy it uh, last year, and, and uh, my buddy and I purchased the company, oh, I think in July um, of uh, 2020. So, 
No, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, you know, like you said, people always wonder that. And I mean, it, it's just kind of a cool thing. I was going to ask you, I saw you guys were talking, well, I heard you guys were talking the other day about kind of just briefly. And I mean, we don't have to get too deep into the weeds of this, but you're talking about politics and how it seems like every state is under attack and it's just all at once. And, uh, have you seen the latest one to where Connecticut, I believe, is trying to ban? You, you go to Africa, you can't even bring an animal back, whether it was legally taken or not. Um, and and it's like a ten thousand dollar fine, and uh, I can't even remember, like same equivalent as manslaughter charges or something. Good God Almighty, I did not see that one. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> they said it's like the third the third time that it's been introduced, but this time it's got a lot more traction than it ever has. And then I mean Illinois is trying to stop the ban or trying to ban hunting of bobcats and trapping of bobcats. You got, you know, New Mexico. I mean, it's just what <laughs> what are your thoughts on all this, man? Man, it's uh, I actually was talking to a, a guy this morning and, and he he actually voted for Biden. Um, and there was a little bit of an argument, not an argument, just conversation. Man, you can't say it doesn't have something to do with that, because the moment he got elected is when all this came through. Now, whether it just gave, you know, obviously he may not have anything to do with it, but it just gave the different states um, strengths to 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 push forth with that and. I don't have the brain power, or the knowledge to go into it in that much depth. So I don't, I don't talk about certain things too, too much, but you, you know, when you, you look at some, some of the outdoor companies right now are funded by anti second amendment, anti predator hunting companies. Um, there's kind of this anti grip and grin thing going on. I actually, I got a message earlier today from a guy that I made kind of a comical post about, I'm going to eat twice as much meat. Uh, in Colorado today because Governor Paulus said it's a non-meat day. And this is from a hunter that sent this. And he basically called me a snowflake and that I was whining for no reason and it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, well, <laughs> man, the greatest scheme of things maybe in a small spectrum it's not, but they're they're taking and taking and taking and we're just giving and giving and giving. And then you have these uh, companies that are, yeah, they're hunting companies, but they're funded by anti-second amendment, anti-predator hunting uh, investment groups. And, and yeah, it may be cool. Like, oh yeah, it's great though. They're funding us to go hunting, but you're still filling their pockets and those pockets uh, empty into contributions for anti-second amendment and anti-predator hunting. So I guess maybe my morals or where I stand are different than maybe others, but I just don't get it. Sometimes I, I don't understand how, a hunter could message me and say I was a, basically a jack wagon for uh, posting, you know, that I'm going to eat twice as much meat today to make up for the people not eating meat. When it's one, it's kind of a joke, but two, well, it's not kind of a joke. It was obviously a joke, <laughs> but um, why would somebody go out of their way? That's a hunter to message me saying I was stupid for saying that really makes me nervous about the state of hunting um, you know, in this day and age and, and where it, where it's heading, you know, I, I was raised as a hunter, you know, I was raised as an outdoorsman, um, you know, forager, whatever you want to call it, picking mushrooms, uh, you know, wild strawberries, raspberries, fishing, uh, you know, obviously hunting as well. And now, um, 
where I was a little kid running around shooting squirrels, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. If, if, if at right now, if my daughter ran around shooting squirrels in our neighborhood, I'd be scared, scared to death that the police would come uh, for the harassment of squirrels when I grew up eating the damn things. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. So like, I was just kind of wondering, um, you know, like my my whole thing, you, you see like making hunting great again, posting all these things about all these idiots doing stupid stuff, you know, and pictures and that kind of anti-grip and grin. I have grip and grim pictures, but I just haven't posted any lately. But I mean, I'm not going to shame somebody that doesn't or anything like that. I just wanted to kind of help change the narrative. But at the same point, like it's almost becoming the point to where I just you get so much just hate or whatever that you get fed up and it's like where do you go i mean you know you want to do something and kind of almost take action but it's like where do you put your money and how how do you fight this well it's it's kind of weird and not to get too deep in the woods with this but you see uh you know there's all kinds of stuff going on right now with like antifa and black lives matter and these big movements which you know, it, it's it's America and I'm all for people, obviously, in a peaceful, somewhat manner, standing up for what they believe in. But, um, you know, let's let's say if if, um, um, you know, if you're if you're gay and you're proud uh, and I posted something negative towards that, which I would never do. I mean, I don't have any issue with that. Um, I would be cast in the courtyard with stones. But if you're a hunter, which you know, something to be proud of. And someone gives you crap about that. It's welcomed, right? It's, it's okay to make fun of a hunter. Uh, but man, hunters can't, you know, poke and prod into too many other different things. And again, I don't, I don't have any issue with, um, you know, in, anything as far as, um, you know, what people's beliefs and what they want to do. I mean, as long as it's legal and ethical and, um, you know, moral, whatever you want to look at it, by all means, it's, that's why we live in America. But, the double standard does make me nervous and then how to, like you say, combat it or defend trapping and hunting and things like that. It's getting to be kind of a blurred line uh, somewhat because there's, there's so many, well, if you have a hunter that uh, votes to ban bear hunting uh, or spring bear hunting or, or bear baiting, that that's alarming to me that you would do that because that's one of the most legal or excuse me, one of the most ethical ways to harvest big, mature boars that quite honestly are hurting the population of bears is, is baiting. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, who am I to say that's just my own views, but, uh, but I am alarmed at a lot of this stuff. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. Um, well, kind of changing topics a little bit. Um, what would you say as far as like a newer hunter, getting into Western hunting, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the other thing like we were talking about, but, um, so a new hunter focusing on gear or buying tags. Oh, I would say that set a, a budget as far as gear goes. And I just went on a whole spiel about this at the seminar I just did, but, um, gear doesn't kill, kill the animal knowledge, hard work, dedication. Um, intestinal fortitude, animal behavior, all of that is actually what kills the animal. Gear just makes you a little bit comfortable, more comfortable while you're doing it. So I think you should focus on a few pieces of gear because that's, you know, long-term, um, you don't want to abuse your body. But 
but overall tags and traveling and when i say that i'll break it down you want to get good boots you want to get a good pack those are on your body all the time you want to get a decent sleep system bridge up with those little by little buy them and then focus the majority of your money because if you don't have a shelter you can't really go out west and go go hunt you got to sleep in something especially if you're going to backpack it but the the you don't have to fit in with the joneses all the time right you, you don't have to have the best latest greatest matching gear you just need functional good gear and so no problem with um you know buying clothing used that or, or or not necessarily used but on sale or or you know there's um very very cost efficient options out there for for pants or fleeces or whatever you don't have to match um and so you want to bridge your gear up but focus on traveling and getting out there and uh, we're making a t-shirt right now that says if you're poor you got to be tough <laughs> that's, that's pretty good <laughs> well the 24 year old version of myself hunted his butt off the 44-year-old version of myself hunts way more, but if I had to hunt with the gear I had when I was 24, I'd become a little bit older and a little bit more beat up, and I am thankful for the gear that I have. But if you're just getting into it and you're young, you got plenty of years to abuse yourself. You don't need that good of stuff. You can beat the crap out of your body for a while. So, you know, get good gear, bridge it up, but focus on the traveling um, and the tags, you know, what it's going to take to get out there and the time off work, obviously. So... I know I kind of already have my answer, but I'm wondering what your answer is as far as good boots. Because you hear people ask a lot, oh, man, what boots should I get? What boots should I get? But what would your your advice on that be? So the, the, the thing with um, lower-end footwear, unless you just have really tough feet and you're running around barefoot as you were a kid, uh, which some people do, um, you know, when you're buying good footwear you're you're buying them for comfort and durability in, in the build right on, on how they're going to um you know keep your foot from from breaking down obviously also orthotics if you let's say you um have extremely tough foot and you can get away with a uh, danner pronghorn i think they're like 129 bucks leather stretches like crazy but you never get hot spots and you don't mind if they leak more power to you, rub some funk on it, get out there and get it done. If you have some foot problems, you get blisters easy, you're probably going to have to donate into some some money into boots, but you don't have to buy new. Uh, or excuse me, when I say new, you don't have to buy the newest, latest, greatest. You can find boots on Zappos, Sierra Trading Post, things like that, that are, that are, that are, that are high quality boots that were from 2019. Those boots are just as good as the 2021 version. They're just the older model and everybody keeps coming out with new stuff. So dummies like me keep buying it. <laughs> so buy good boots, but you don't have to spend the, your favorite boot may end up costing you 400 bucks. You may spend that, but over time, especially the more you become successful, you will have a lot of people will have foot problems without good footwear or in a good orthotic. What about like uh sleep system and stuff like that i mean you you spend a lot of time sleeping in a shelter or a tent of some sort i mean what have you found over the years that works the best i mean is there differences between side sleepers and back sleepers and all that kind of stuff 
Oh, yeah, but I mean, a sleeping pad is about the least of your worries. You can find those used on Craigslist. Uh, you can find them on sale. You can go to uh, um, uh, forums, right, like hunting forums like Rock Slide or I don't know, wherever, and, and find them. Even if you bought one brand new, a good one's anywhere between a 129 and 189 So not the end of the world, kind of expensive, but it's going to last you 10, 15 years if you take care of it. That one's not as big of a deal, the sleeping pad. So you definitely want to get a good R value and get a somewhat light one and a decent thickness to it. But the pad is not the end of the world. The, the sleeping bag, you might have to sell a kidney for a good one of those. A, a good bag is, oh, anywhere in that 350 on the lower end range for a synthetic to 450 down bags. You know, one of my down bags, I think was 800 bucks. Um so you can donate some money. Again, though, if you take care of it, that is a 20-year investment. That thing will last you a long time. And so those are the things people really need to look at. Like, can you set aside the money to, to purchase one of those, budget for it, get a good one, and not buy another one again? Um, and if you can, that's the best route to go. But you can buy fairly inexpensive shelters for elk hunting and do okay. You're not going to be in jeopardy. Mountain goat, sheep hunt, high country mule deer hunt might be a little bit different story, but you can buy, I don't know, an RDI quarter dome for 189 bucks. It'll get you by for a while. You know, for me, I've seen a lot of shelters blow down. So I run, you know, obviously our shelters as well as Hillebergs. Um, but you don't have to have that out of the gate. It's something you want to work up to. You know, you want to strive towards to getting the best gear you can, but you don't have to have it at first. Yeah. So like what kind of, sleeping bags would you recommend i mean is there any out there obviously kafaru right i mean but is is there anything else or what what would you say i pretty much um and, and obviously kafaru for a synthetic bag and, and that's not just because i own the company they're pretty well known for being you know the one of the better best synthetic bags for down bags um i would say the uh, western mountaineering is by far my all-time favorite Feathered Friends is a great bag. Valandra makes a great bag. I've, um, you know, a lot of it's sizing. You want to make sure you get the right size. Some of the uh, mountain hardware bags are pretty good, but um, Western Mountaineering, uh, Marmot makes some good bags too, if you can fit in them. Um, but Western Mountaineering, in my opinion, is the best down bag. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of, so my first Elcon I went on, my cousin and I went and we were in Southern Colorado and he's from Texas. And so I had a, I think I had like a mountain hardware, like 15 degree bag. And then I brought my negative 30 degree bag just in case, you know, whatever. It got real nasty out or whatever and kept it in the truck. And he bought, I don't know if it was like an Amazon sleeping bag or something. And he told me it and I was like, dude, spend your money on a good bag. And he didn't listen to me. And I remember it was like night number two. He woke me up like four times. I hear him messing around in his tent. Couldn't figure out what the heck he's doing. And I'm like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Go to sleep. And he's like, I can't, man. I'm freezing. And he, he was trying to put his sleeping bag inside his other sleeping bag and just absolutely freezing his ass off. And there I am with my sleeping bag kicked all the way open, zipped down, and freaking had like my whoopee even hanging out. And uh, I was still hot. <laughs> Well, and, and so here's the thing, and I've written, written many articles about this and podcasts. What um, generally happens with gear, um, 
and, and I've made actually kind of funny little analogies with this, but your, your first stage of gear is the poverty phase, right? That that's the gear that you, it's the only gear you can get. You're, you're in poverty. It's the only thing you can afford. And you, if you're going to be poor. You got to be tough. Well, then as that poverty phase hits, as you have these catastrophic life changing events, like freezing to death in a sleeping bag overnight, that will be the pinnacle of your new gear. Meaning, Okay, I froze to death, but my pack was okay, but I didn't kill anything. You get a new bag that year. The next year you go out and you got your crappy pack or crappy boots and you kill something. And your feet are in shambles and your back hurts and your lower back's bleeding and you can't move your shoulders for three days. But that year, that's going to be your major purchase. Now you buy a cheap Amazon stove, but the thing breaks. All right, now you're, that's your next purchase. Well, that's that's part of being poor and part of growing up, right? I went through all that, which is why I try to help people about with gear as much as I can. It's generally a lot of these life-changing, holy crap events that um, make you purchase better gear. And 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 we, you know, at, at Kafaru, we get these phone calls at the trailhead of somebody that just packed out an elk that literally will drop twelve hundred bucks on our gear because of the pain they just spent for the last twenty-four hours. Um, <laughs> And, you know, a lot of guys, when they start buying really good gear, they'll follow the, the, uh, the, the concept of the idea of going super ultra light and they'll go as light as they possibly can. And it's like a badge of honor. I went 10 days with 37 pounds and the first year they hit good weather and like, this is genius. And the second weather they hit a early summer storm and they freeze to death. I will never do that again. So the next time they go out, they have way too much gear. Because it's like war. They're basing it on the last war, not the one coming up. They're basing it on their last problems, not the ones that could potentially come up. And and when I say potentially come up, being common sense, happy medium. Do you need a 40-degree bag? Eh, you might freeze to death. But you don't need a zero either. Maybe you get a 15 or 20. Um, do, do, do you need a uh, holy cow like MSR, Whisper Light, International msr stove well if the zombies come you might but you use that thing and you're like man this thing's heavy i don't need this and then you go buy a lighter version and so that happy medium road is where i try to send everybody because um you go too far on one way you're gonna hate it hiking in you go too far the other you're gonna hate it when you get there so you really got to kind of assess what you're doing and, and go from there yeah no i've always kind of wondered about that as you mentioned the stove but i mean like at what temp you know, because I've always just carried a jet boil and had luck with it, but I've never been stuck in some gnarly storm on the side of a mountain or anything like that. At what temp is that tri-fuel canister going to fail you? Um, nothing that anybody's going to have to worry about. Um, it's not really the temp, it's the altitude or durability. The one thing with jet boil, and I've had a lot of people argue with this, but jet boil is not pro hunting no matter what anybody tells you. At the corporate level, they don't like hunters. They may sell to hunters because they like hunters' money, but you go to the outdoor retailer show, South Cox didn't believe me, and he went and talked to him, and he switched to an MSR reactor that year. So I don't like people using jet boil just because they hate hunters. Um, but the jet boil will do totally fine, minus the igniter always breaks. But, I mean, a jet boil will do fine for the most part. Where you see things fall apart is if you have to boil snow for water. That will really uh, cause some issues with the the kit stoves like a jet boil at times. Um, and then 
you know, when, when you talk about like altitude, some stoves are going to perform, um, you know, a little bit better than others at altitude. Some are going to be more efficient, meaning they're going to boil faster. And as an example, if you and I go backpack hunting and we're on day four and it's been pretty cold and you're using your stove to warm your tent up or warm your hands up. And if my stove is more, um, conducive to that and doesn't burn as much fuel, that's probably going to raise your eye and you may want to upgrade to that. Or let's say we both sit down to have a nice cup of Joe and, um, uh, a freeze dried meal and my water boils in one minute and 58 seconds and your beers boils in four minutes. That may raise an eyebrow as well. So as far as like extreme conditions, that's kind of a little bit far-fetched because you, you probably won't face extreme enough conditions like Everest where it's going to matter that much. Okay. That's good. Definitely good to know. I mean, I, I always, I, I've heard you kind of talk about it and never knew the exact reasoning behind having that or like an optimist or something like that to where it's like the multi-fuel and you prime it up, but you know. Altitude boiling snow is where the multi-fuel stove can come in super handy. Not only that, if you travel to other countries, it can be a very large pain in the butt to get a isobutane canister where you can always get white gas or uh, unleaded or whatever in a multi-fuel stove you'll be able to use where, I, I don't know if you haven't lived yet until you fly in somewhere and you drive to 45 stores trying to find an isobutane canister and nobody has them where you could pull into the gas station and pump diesel fuel or, or gas into your, into your multi-fuel stove. I've never done that, but I have had the problem of looking for a CR2 battery and uh, every store in Southern Colorado being out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Same principle. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, uh, that definitely sucked. And the worst part about it was I brought one, two, threes thinking that's what was in my rangefinder until I found out differently. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what kind of, I mean, is there other kind of recommendations for gear or anything like that? You, you tell somebody to kind of save their money and buy, I mean, would that be the same principle for glass or just same thing, you know, with glass, um, you, you really want to buy the best glass you can afford, use that as long as you can and save up as much money you can and eventually get one of the big three. Um, not, not for whitetail hunting as much, you're not using glass as much, but, when you're on a um, high country mule deer hunt or a sheep hunt or something and you're glassing for 12 hours a day, that's one of those uh, groundbreaking, life-changing moments when your head hurts so bad from migraines because you got crappy glass, you'll do anything different. You'll go home and still get money out of your kid's college fund to go buy better optics because your head hurts so bad. But not everybody can afford the big three. So my, my suggestion is save as long as you can. What generally happens is someone buys a Nikon Monarch first. They get tired of those and they move on to, a, I don't know, whatever, a Maven or a, or a Loophold or something or a Vortex. And then they use that for a while and then they buy you know, something else. And then five sets of optics down the road, they're at, I, I'm going to buy Swaro. When if they wouldn't have bought all those five, they probably would have rewound and had Swaro's or Zeiss or Leica in half the time but they'd pissed away money on subpar optics that they end up upgrading anyway yeah so w when you say the big three what are you talking about like zeiss swirl and like Leica and, or something or yeah yeah like Leica, zeiss and swirl okay all right and is there i mean is there a difference in the you know like the different lines 
that they have, or are they all pretty uh, pretty good? Nope. There's there's a difference, especially when you look at Zeiss Conquest or uh, the Leica, the Leica. So you know the Leica Noctavid, uh, the Zeiss SF, and the Swarovski NL or EL or even the SLC are really what you want to um, you know what you want to look at. Um, you you don't um, the, uh, you really what happens when you if you can imagine you got two toilet paper rolls right you're looking through pretend those are binoculars if it's cheap glass the center of the glass is going to be the clearest and the edges of the glass on cheaper glass are going to have um edge to edge clarity chromatic aberration issues um when your eye it's naturally focusing it's gonna it's going to favor the clearest point so as your eye drifts to the edge it snaps back to the clear spot you do that a thousand, hundred thousand times as you're glassing throughout the day. That's where the migraine comes into play. Well, when your glass is perfect edge to edge, you don't get that snapping around of your eyes. I'm not an optometrist. That's just how it's explained to me. Um, you don't get those migraines. And so, you know, with the big three, you don't get that. And that's where the, the quality comes into play. So is there a way you can test that? Like, with like some size dot at you know x amount of yards or anything like that uh as far as the like the edge to edge clarity like i mean is it like you could take like a six inch dot or you know 20 inch dot and put it at like 100 well, yards or something to test that or? At, well you can just look through it and tell if you know what you're looking at i mean you can just see that the edges aren't as clear as the middle and now as i say that where you run into, uh, and not to be an optic snob, obviously, because I had to, I think I re-roofed two or three roofs and put in a couple shower doors when I when I bought my first set of squirrels. But um, it is so, um, I, 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 it's hard to explain with words when you first get a good set of glass, um, how enjoyable it is to look through them in comparison to a lower end set. And and again, if you just take a higher end set at a lower light condition and a lower end set um, or, or, or glass for a long period of time, you're going to be able to tell, you know, the, the light gathering is also another one. You lose about 20 minutes uh, in the morning and 20 minutes at night with lower end set compared to a higher end set. Again, that's where, where the money comes from and all that you can if you just grab them and really look, you can tell, and you can't do it by looking on indoors in a lighted building or outside in a bright building for the low light, but you can the edge to edge clarity. Just go from the middle and start looking to the edge um, and see, try to read words or letters at a hundred yards away and then do it with a higher end set. And you'll be able to read them from across the span of the glass where you can't with a lower end set. No, that's pretty good. That's good information for sure. Cause I'm kind of, kind of in the market right now looking to try out some different different optics and upgrade from stuff i got so that's that's definitely good information so i gotta ask you are you still doing the compound thing at all just to like i know you talked about it a little bit staying relevant or something like that so you could help guys and stuff but is that still i mean still a thing or no yeah yeah i just got a, a few new bows in it's not really about i could really give a crap about staying relevant in the sense of like oh i still shoot a compound but more that uh, still have i guess you could say the relevancy of uh the information being out there if that makes any sense like to make sure people know i guess i know what i'm talking about would make sense but right. i i don't really get that much pleasure out of um you know hunting um 
you know, with with a with a compound compared to the stick bow. But I do like shooting tournaments with them and things like that. So, I mean, it it, it I don't get as much pleasure out of, of taking an animal with a compound just because I can shoot farther with it. And I guess I don't have the self control to sneak in. And I also it doesn't take as much effort, I guess, with the compound. But yeah, I'm gonna still screw around with them. So I got a question for you then. Um, I'm switching over from like a multi-pin to a single pin. But I shoot heavier arrows. And you look at like the chart that they give you for your speeds after you chrono your arrows. And they don't even have a tape. How would I go about figuring out what I need to put on? Like would I have to print out a sight tape and, and find it? For this my- is where I one of people you could just sight your bow in what's that just sight your bow in no i but after you sight it in so you can use the roller the slider on the side to that, do your no, that, that's what I, that's what i mean just put a, a blank piece of tape on the side and make marks oh okay so so you know what it is then or i mean is there another way like a printout or something or i'd have to make one I, well, and here's the thing, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of Archer's Advantage and things like that because it makes people semi lazy. And it's kind of like when you buy, um, oh, um, Best of the West rifle and you, they hand you the rifle and a rangefinder and say you're accurate out to a thousand yards. I, the gun might be, but if you actually sight your bow and you're learning your capabilities, you're learning the, the craft, right? You're, you're sighting your bow in truly out to 80 yards where you know those sight marks are perfect. Um, and you're learning along the way and you're also working on form and shooting rather than throwing in some dimensions and printing it out. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you do learn more from sighting your bow in, um, in comparison. So I, I, even to this day, I sight my bow in up to 120 yards and then I just match. I don't even care what it says for speed. I just grab the sight tapes and match them up and and then that's the tape i use if i have one that matches if it's not i I just take um you know really durable uh basically scotch tape and then it's not scotch tape it's actually you know very durable but and then put it over my little uh you know white tape that i have that sticks on there that's like a you know i don't know what it's called the sticky white tape they use in the office and then just side it in that way does the same thing you just actually sighted your bow in yourself okay so like a packing tape or something maybe like a yeah yeah basically okay. yeah to water good to know for sure man that's uh something else because i'm switching over i got one sitting in the box and i haven't touched it yet but i did look around and i chronoed my bow last year and and you know i mean the other way you sight in your pins you shoot it and you sight in your pins and i was looking at it and i'm like man i don't know what, what to even do with this but that way i can it's good to know i can figure that out for sure so um, I kind of wanted to ask you about like Western hunting and, um, you know, if you're not focusing on elk, what should somebody kind of be trying to do to get out there, just to get more time out there and, and hunt with uh, still coming home with a decent amount of meat? Other than elk? Yeah. Or elk. <laughs> um, I mean, a decent amount of meat. I mean, a mule deer, a big one, you might get 75, 80 pounds out of, but you know, mule deer is an option, but it can be a little bit more of a pain in the butt than than elk. Black bear is an option. Some people, um, you know, springtime, you can come out for black bear in certain states. But, I mean, really, elk is kind of the pinnacle, you know. So, after that, um, 
everything else seems to be like uh, an ancillary benefit of going out west if somebody has, happens to have a mule deer tag in their pocket. But but yeah, mule deer would probably be number one. Okay. Um, and what's kind of do you know all the changes that have happened in Colorado as far as like uh, over the counter and all that stuff? I mean, I've kind of noticed that a lot of the units are going to like a draw for archery. I mean. Uh, A lot of the units have always been a draw. Um, A few more have, but there's still a pile of over-the-counter units here, which I personally hope changes for the the betterment of the actually hunt and, and, uh, you know, obviously the herd as well. Um, There's a big difference between having a good hunt and going hunting. Um, You know, and I've had guys kind of give me flack about that, but, uh, you know, the the bottom line is is if you – head out west and you see one elk in a 10-day thing away um, and you come out every year and you shoot one once every 10 years, would you rather do that or would you rather come out every three years and be, you know, into elk the entire time? You know, of course, I live out here, so a little bit different, but I'm, I'm much more into a, a, a good hunt than I am going hunting. So let me ask you this then, if you could pick one state, would it be Colorado? No, hell no. It's over <laughs> no, it's, and I'm not saying that because I live here. I just, hell, I'm moving out of this state for, you know, when I, um, uh, when, you, when you backpack into an area and you see more hunters than elk, that's a problem. Right. So, uh, what would you, <laughs> what would you pick then, man? Uh, Idaho would be a good one. Wyoming's a little different because you, you can't go into the wilderness, but uh, Idaho is not too, too bad. Um, so I, it's hard to say because everybody, when I say that, everybody's like, oh, it's because you live in Colorado, which is partially true. I do live in Colorado, which is why I'm like, yeah, it's crazy overpopulated. But um, I mean, it, it's just it's just the facts. Yeah, I heard that last year due to COVID, there was more people. And it was more crowded than a lot of the guys that hunt out there on a regular basis have ever seen. Did you kind of see that too? Yeah, yeah. Busy as I've ever seen it. And and again, I'm I'm into a good let's go hunting. I can go hiking whenever I whenever I want, right? You don't you don't have to have a weapon to go hiking and going hiking with a weapon sucks even worse because then you're dragging a weapon around. So um, you know if i mean think about it i mean it's no different than anything if uh you went on vacation and you know there's 500 you know people around you at all time if that's your version of vacation then great but my version of a vacation is getting away from people so i'm going to opt to maybe go on a vacation once every three years to a place that gives me more peace and quiet than going on a vacation for the greater good of saying I went on a vacation where I didn't have any fun because I'm covered in people the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, wh- where are you moving to then? Are you moving to Wyoming? I think so, yeah. Is that just so you can hunt all the wilderness areas? <laughs> that That's part of it for, for sure. Um, you know, the other part, obviously, business-wise, from growing the business, there's no uh, state tax or sales tax. Um, ideals of, of Wyoming, um, definitely, you know, more line up with Kafaru, uh, in, in our brand than, than Colorado does. And so, um, 
Colorado's full of people from California. It's pretty, pretty liberal. Um, and we, we, you know, we're definitely not that way. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not us. So, uh, we just fit in better in Wyoming. We feel and, and are excited to get there. So we, and the hunting is good. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea of less, less pressure. So Absolutely. For sure. Um, so when you guys go out to Colorado, I know I've heard you kind of talk a little bit about what your plans are as far as, uh, doing some like instruction and having some like classroom type settings and, and maybe wilderness setting or something out there. Is that still in the works? Yep. Yep. That's the plan. And then, uh, when you guys are doing that, what exactly are you, are you going to teach? Uh, land navigation, uh, you know, just general field craft, uh, you know, applied to backpack hunting, um, glassing. So if you can imagine having 3d targets, um, you know, things of that nature on a mountainside and you're a thousand yards away trying to find them, teaching people how to find it, what to look for while they're glassing, how to grid, how to go on a stalk. You know, once you do, let's say we put a mule deer out there at 800 yards. Once you find it being tested on the most um, realistic stock to actually for success, uh, grading people on that and, and obviously coaching them, uh, you know, basically uh, shooting an azimuth to the animal, thinking a back azimuth so you know how to come in from behind it, mapping that out, those type of things. Um, it, archery, obviously, as well as, you know, with, with archery meaning tuning, um, you know, figuring, figuring out uh, the most beneficial setup for, for your body type, poundage, drawing, things like that, uh, animal anatomy, shot placement, things of that nature, uh, taking care of animals, how to break them down, how to get them out, what to do, you know, if you're staying in the field longer, how to keep the meat, um, you know, taken care of while you're there. So pretty, pretty much anything you need to know for, for heading out west. And how, how do you, I mean, are those going to be like a, a weekend warrior type thing or is, are you kind of planning on a longer, longer term course for that? All of the above. So, you know, there's going to be a crawl, walk, run phase. So crawling is obviously uh, in, inside, you know, walking, the majority of that will be indoors a little bit outdoors and then obviously the running portion will be uh backpacking trips or or day trips where we where we teach this to where it all comes together that's that's pretty awesome i mean i think a lot of things like for instance i mean dude i do not know land nav as good as i should and that's one thing i'm starting to work on and try and try and learn but i mean i think there's a lot of hunters out there that maybe even are, you know, hunters that have been hunting for 15 or 20 years, but just never, never truly developed a lot of those skills that one day I think they might need. Is that kind of something you guys have been seeing um, as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you think about it, if you're on a solo mule deer hunt and you, um, uh, if, if you shoot an, if you find a mule deer and you're solo and it's, I don't know, whatever, 1500 yards away. Um, what are you going to do to, um, you know, put yourself in a position to shoot that deer? How are you going to do it? Well, for me, I, I, I take out an orange panel. I wrap it around my backpack because I, I generally don't take my full pack on the final stock. I shoot an azimuth to the deer. I figure out what the back azimuth is. And then I range the deer so I know how far away it is. So I know I'm coming in behind it when I circle around. I also, uh, either take a photo with my phone or I map out, um, okay, behind that deer, 43 or 72 yards, whatever behind it, 
is a giant boulder and bristle comb. So that way, when I following my back azimuth, I know that's the boulder and I know that's the uh, bristle comb or, or, you know, sparsy pine or whatever I've marked out that, okay, I'm within whatever the distance, 72 yards now. Now I'm going to drop down to my socks. I've spotted the deer. That was because of that back azimuth and the mapping or, or drawing out what it was or taking those notes. Um, obviously then when you get to the animal, what we would teach is what to do, obviously from, from, you know, experience is it time. Do you throw a rock? Do you not throw a rock? What time of day is it? When's the chances of him standing up? What are the thermals doing? Are the thermals going to continue blowing up? Are they going to change? Um, where will the animal go? Uh, you know, how long do you have, uh, when the animal rebeds or gets up to feed, how long does he feed? Uh, all of that type of stuff. Um, is what we would go into. No, that's, that's pretty cool. I think that would, uh, I mean, stuff like that can advance, you know, somebody's hunting career, turn them from a semi-successful and a, a successful hunter. And I think anything that anybody does like that is uh, an awesome thing to try and give that mentorship, especially once they've, they've kind of, you know, learned all that stuff to pass that knowledge on. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about it. And, and uh, obviously um, it, it it's something that I think is overlooked. A lot of people, again, they just want to go hunting and get out there. I'm more into having a good hunt and people being successful and, and helping them do that. Yeah, absolutely. So Aaron, I got one more thing I want to ask you uh, before you go is, is there at any point going to be like, a, I know you guys are doing a Snyderisms thing. Is yeah. There... <laughs> Is there going to be like a big book of Snyderisms or what's the plan there? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, I don't know about a book. I know there's <laughs> going to be a t-shirt coming out, but uh, we've got three more videos we've made of Snyderisms that'll pop up periodically. Um, so yeah, I, uh, uh, I where the Snyderisms will go, who knows where right now, I know it's a t-shirt and multiple videos. So. <laughs> I heard, <laughs> I heard. Oh man, I heard one the other day. I was listening to uh I think I think you guys were talking about when you went to Fieldcraft. I don't know if it was on yours or or it was on somebody else's, but you talked about walking in the room with a with a purse full of tampons. <laughs> um, you know, normally, you know, like with those guys when you go um like I feel confident as as a hunter that I can um not that hunting's a competition, so but I mean I can run with anyone i can go on on any hunt not not embarrass myself and and be um you know very um you know helpful with what's going on where with those guys on the tactical side of things I, yeah i mean usually i'm like the alpha male or one in the room where there i yeah i was looking for my tampons in my purse <laughs> you're surrounded by pipe hitters and and not from a not hunt not from a hunting point just from a uh, survival field craft, uh, mobility standpoint, those guys are all, you know, heavy hitters and, and, um, you know, I'm very proud to call them my friends and we're definitely, when it comes to the more tactical mobility stuff, going to be pushing guys, you know, uh, to them. Um, when I say pushing guys to them, I stick in my wheelhouse, right? If you want to stay alive and go kill something and pack it back out, you know, I, I, I feel like I definitely am one of the better ones to help out with that, but I know my role. I'm not going to be kicking down doors and teaching people how to build up a, you know, whatever Tacoma to survive the world ending. That's, that's Mike and Kevin's 
right? That's, that's their thing. And so when we were talking about this, a lot of their strong points were my weak points. And a lot of their weak points were my strong points. So uh, a type of a partnership definitely makes sense. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I just thought it was hilarious. When I heard that, I, I think, was it on your podcast you were talking about that or? And it, it might've been, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I definitely, <laughs> I get, I, I get criticized for being, you know, arrogant or overconfident and which I totally get. Cause I'm, when I am good at something, I'm very confident with it and, and, and I feel good about helping people. But at the same side, when I am, not uh, good at something, I will be the first one to say, how the hell would I know? You know? Ask this dude, that's his deal, not mine. And when those guys started, you know, I'm not going to be building wicker baskets to catch a squirrel, right? That's Kevin Estella's deal. I can do it. Um, not my thing, right? I'm going to push people to him and uh, I'm not going to be carving an, uh, a fish hook out of a rock. That's, <laughs> that's their, I'm not going to build up um, a doomsday vehicle um, or, or a readiness Land Rover that that's Kevin Owen and, and, and Mike Lover's deal. Uh, but Hey, you, you want to learn how to stalk a mule deer or judge a mountain goat? Yep. That's my deal. I'll help you out with that. And so I try to be upfront. And, and like I said, when we, we all sat down, I'm like, Oh, usually the one I'm telling stories and teaching, I think I'll just shut the F up on this trip and let these guys, because they're very good at what they do. And I'm in no position to be uh, opening my mouth. So. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious, so I just had to bring that up. I I laughed super hard, and so that definitely needs to be, <laughs> I think, added to the book of book of Schneiderism. <laughs> so that's uh, with that being said, though, man, um, I think it's probably a good point to. We could probably talk all night about different random stuff, but um, can you tell everybody where to find you, re- where to reach out to you if you need help and uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, my uh, my Instagram. Uh, it's a r n underscore s n y d e r uh kafaru cast so k i f a r u c a s t uh is the uh, the podcast we have a youtube page kafaru cast as well uh kafaru.net is the uh the, the the website for my company um i have a facebook page same thing aaron snyder um and then obviously there's a lot more to come we're really ramping up on the tech tips on the kafaru cast page there's multiple articles all over the place from Eastman's to, to rock slide and other hunting magazines I've, I've written. Um, I've been doing this a long time. So you can find some, when I was a lot more energetic to write articles, some, some really good ones on rock slide. Um, oh, I don't chase the rabbit, the good idea fairy. Some of the better ones are backpack hunting to make you think about what you're doing before you head out or, or out there to, to find. So. No, it's awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge and not just on this podcast, but with everybody that ever has a question. Truly appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for having me on and uh, hopefully everybody listening in uh, at least gets some entertainment out of it. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you could check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. It's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun. Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.